In this podcast recording at the Moot Eucharist at St Mary Audemary in the City of London, Ian Mosby explores the implications of Luke chapter 18 verses 1 to 8 regarding prayer as the healing experience of God. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the law said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? an easy text, which is interesting because I've had conversations with a number of people this week that has led me to do some reflections on prayer. And this is a hard text, but just remember the context. We're talking about Jesus who is storytelling to a group of people. So he's using the devices within this text of storytelling. So it sounds shocking to us, particularly if we read it more literally which I don't think this text is for. It sounds like the widow goes to the unjust judge time and time again and only gets anywhere because the judge wants to be rid of her. With God, the widow can go time and time again and will get God's full attention every time. The frightening implications, literal implications of this text, if you take it that way, it sounds like Jesus is painting a terrifying image of an intolerant God irritated into action. I think the truth is that this text is to be treated parabolically, as in with our hearts, not just our minds. And that is a device of storytelling which Jesus uses time and time again, that uses a shocking context to engage people to see something that they had not seen before through experience. So he is trying to use, he's trying to shock them, I think here, shock them out of their intellectual understanding of prayer as God appeasement. We remember that the context of prayer for the Jews was about going to the temple, which was about appeasing the gods. And that comes from the ancient Near East, where they had a sense of an angry God upstairs that you needed to kind of do offerings to, to appease. So Jesus is drastically trying to change their frame of reference to open up prayer in a radically different way that shifts from the idea of temple appeasement to the sense of a relational connection to God. 
that God is not sitting on a bit of a, like a bit of a king, sitting on a throne upstairs. And you and I are like servants, humbly trying to come before the king and ask for favour, hoping one day we might see the things that we care about answered. I think that's a profoundly unhealthy understanding of prayer, and one that is taught in many teachings, is taught in many churches. The image of God as king and us as unworthy servants. So what is Jesus doing here? Well, I think he's playing and deconstructing the idea of prayer using a parabolic device that brings new meaning through a disorientating experience to help people experience a very different view of prayer and therefore open up new understanding, which they would never understand if they tried to impart it through facts. Jesus isn't saying that the widow won't visit any less than these gods. He is saying, unlike the unjust God, the unjust judge, sorry, God isn't interested only in God's own comfort and getting the pestering widow out of his hair, that's if God has hair. This parable seems to me to be conveying that when we seek to encounter God in the mystery of real prayer, of an, ent- of an encounter that is deep and all-embracing, then no matter how persistent we are, God will always be there to listen and engage. Now that's easy for me to say, but I think this type of prayer is really hard. In fact, God is so unlike the unjust judge that he wants us to go back time and time again to engage in a spiritual and deep relationship. A deep and meaningful relationship with God is built over a lifetime of such meetings with the divine, not just a quick fix for instant gratification. I think that's one of the images of prayer that we have been taught, which is deeply unhealthy. That somehow God is, God is some sort of heavenly father and that prayer there is for us to, as God's children to ask for those things. I mean, there are images about God and, and the idea that we send prayer requests, but it's out of relationship. God is not a heavenly social worker. So these encounters that I think Jesus is trying to reframe from a temple version of prayer to the idea that we have a deep relationship to and with God through the Holy Spirit comes to life in this text. It builds up over a lifetime of communicative richness in our souls that bespeaks something of God. That prayer is something we have to work hard at. It's not easy. But if we pursue it, it becomes like a piece of treasured antique furniture that has to be handed down through the generations. It will have its share of knocks and dents, but it will also have something that is deeply precious. Unique identity, patiently gained through years of everyday practice. That is what prayer is about. Room for encounter with God, and also room, incidentally, to allow God to speak into the busyness of us. So what am I saying? Well, a number of things. Whether we like it or not, our intellect is not the starting place for faith and faith development. Actually, faith as an understanding of the ongoing conversion of our lives starts with our stopping being still and learning ancient ways passed down through the centuries of authentic ways to encounter God. As I say, this is not easy, but key to this idea of the I-thou connection, the I-God connection, which you gain through prayer and incidentally being part of community. I think what's fascinating when you read the language of the mystics and those who went on their own to be in the desert is they talk about their experience of, of the community being the environment. So even when we have solitary monks in the church history, they have talked about being in the community of, of 
people gathered in a particular area of the desert, but also in communing with the life of that area. For some of us, the idea of prayer as experience sounds like a threat. And I think that is understandable. Some of us had pretty wacky times, whether we grew up in faith as a child or encountered charismatic forms of church in our teens or in our young adulthood. I became a Christian through such an experience for being a radical atheist. These early experiences of faith were formative, but I think for many, troubling. The strength of the charismatic movement was the room given that the room that was given for experience, but there was also an anti-intellectualism that was overplayed. And for some of us, the experience of charismatic worship became a form of manipulation or a bit of a fix, or it became troubling. Some, in some churches, charismatic worship became experiential, emotional uh, moments where they could have been overplayed and accompanied with an attitude that you could not question or explore faith without being accused of backsliding. So that experience then was controlled by governance of unity and conformity rather than diversity. Healthily, I think, some of us have gone deeper in our faith and deconstructed some of this emphasis, overemphasis on emotion and rightly concerns about being controlled in crowds or about crowd dynamics with emotions are high. We have, had, we have all had good and bad experience of this. We have realised that faith is community and that unity should be in diversity and generosity and not in control. So some of us then moved into, into, into the intellectual, the philosophical, and the thinking as an unconscious reaction, I think in many ways, to the focus of emotional experience, and so was born the post-evangelical worship at emerging church. Now, for many of us, that's been a journey for quite some time. For some of us, that's more recent. But I think we've ended up in the same place, that often we put too much emphasis on thinking. Those of us involved with all worship ended up as nothing to do with actual encounter with God, but rather a workshop of thinking about God through burning bits of paper, dropping stones into water, and so on. Um, and there's a danger here that suddenly that becomes, an, and we were exhausted in this church by the amount of technology and projection. I always remember one Tezo service, uh, not Tezo, one Greenbelt service, which was all about peace, and we nearly killed each other with the amount of technology and projection that was required to get working. But, and there's a big important but here, but not all these things in themselves were wrong, but rather we were unaware that we have moved from the emotions to the head, and far too much into the head, immersed in postmodern culture with a focus on the individual. So ironically, some of those I journeyed through over the last 25 years through the post-evangelical to the all-worship emerging church are completely unaware how unhealthily they have become in a nihilistic philosophical quest where deconstruction becomes the quest for reform and more pure forms of the church, which is actually, actually a Protestant ideal, which, as we know, because it focuses on constantly seeking more pure forms of the church, has led to enormous amounts of division. Such groups now call themselves radical theology. But I think the truth is, is that this postmodern pursuit for reforming a pure form of the church has the same vision as the Puritans and, other, and others, which is completely understandable. But if not worked out in community, these visions and philosophical thinkings can become incredibly polemical and angry and not actually immersed in the love of God. 
And so I am going to be critical of some writers and speakers who take the postmodern to such a radical position. We really, do, we really don't need more division of who is really Christian. Instead, we need to start living and re-emphasizing the gospel as a radical call which the gospel is quite enough for us to try and sustain and live. Right, so what are you saying? What's Ian, what's that got to do with prayer? Well, I think prayer is not about thinking. Prayer is ultimately of the heart. In Moot for the last eight years, we have realized that we have been addicted to thinking. So we stopped doing all worship and took things to the simple and embraced the importance of silence, of chant, of simple shared space so that we have room to experience God together that is not manipulated by music or group dynamics. So, for example, Teze allows for expression and the use of words to engage in the I-Thou relationship through community. When we sit together here in silence, we are mystically connected to each other through silent prayer to and with God. This journey of prayer requires us to return to seeking God from within us, where God is to be found in the depth of our being as well as outside us through an experience of the heart, not through the reason of the mind. We learn this through the mystics and the monastics and the mendicants, and this has been deeply transformative for those of us who have made this journey. For some of us, we have been fearful about prayer because we have not come to terms with our experiences of our slightly abused charismatic pasts. Some of us have locked down these experiences and now become cynical and even dismissive of the importance of those original experiences. So if I look at my own life, there was a mixture of both. But the painful truth is there was something deeply authentic there. There's something of the charismatic experience that was the presence of God that was messed up by human beings. Yes, much abuse has happened, but in of itself, the charismatic movement were right when there, were needs, where there was a desperate need for experience and encounter of the Holy Spirit in difficult times. So in my experience, the charismatic has become deeply Sacramental. So I sat here today, and I stand here now, absolutely still open to the Spirit, but maybe slightly in a different way, and maybe a bit more um, healthier. And that actually, the charismatic naturally leads to the sacramental. So the hard truth is that for some of us, this difficult experience is deeply felt, and that real healing and real discipleship is about making peace or coming to terms with our past. I say that again. Real healing and deep discipleship is about making peace and coming to terms with our pasts. And this is what I mean when we talk about integration of the adult, child and adolescent that are all part of us. So prayer and real discipleship are deeply connected and they happen and they come to each other when we face all those bits of ourselves we don't like that includes maybe bad experiences of emotional manipulation um, in relation to worship. And real Christianity in, is about now and the present and for the future, about letting go and maybe surrendering our will, surrendering our intellect, of getting beyond the need to be in control or having an understood polemical understanding of what prayer is. Ultimately, prayer is mystical, it is undefinable. So many of us in our identified, we have identified have become over-dominant in our adult parts and squashed the life out of those parts of us that are child for fear of experience. 
So let me say right now that we will never understand prayer, as I said, and we will always be novices at prayer. We will never feel comfortable. We will always struggle with perseverance. And that is something that all the monastics write about, and it's the same for us. And the contemplative prayer needs to be rooted into the encounter of God and encounter of community both together. In this way, can I say, that prayer is not narcissistic by looking inwards. Okay, so that in, prayer can be narcissistic where it is not done in community, but we balance here, I hope, a balance between communal and individual prayer. And actually, when we need to face ourselves, it isn't narcissism we should fear, but lack of self-understanding. The danger, if we don't face our inner lives, is that our false selves, those parts of us that are led by greed, anger and fear, will dominate. And Christ challenges us, I think in this text, to let go of those things that distort us. So, prayer is extremely important and we need to give it space in our busy lives. For those who have had troubled experiences of emotional manipulation or bad experiences of church because of an overemphasis on emotional experience, can I challenge you to deconstruct your need to remain in your head as a form of defence mechanism? We and I will grow as Christians when we allow the emphasis to shift from the head to the heart and to learn to allow God to space an encounter and actually maybe become positive about it. I struggle with prayer and it has become a lifeline. Many people know that um, in the summer I was really unwell. If I wasn't able to pray, I'm not sure I would be standing here now. That it was contemplative prayer that was part of my healing and well-being to recover from quite a serious burnout bordering on quite clinical depression. So, I emphasise the importance of prayer because it comes out of my own life. So, if you view prayer as a nagging, a big, stair, a big God upstairs, can I follow Jesus the Master in deconstructing that and request that you try and give God room this week? Where in your week could you create space? And there needs to be moments. Let's shift this sense of guilt about prayer that many of us carry to actually a place and gift to each one of us a place where God can meet us in the depth of our being to bring comfort and love. In the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Moot Community Podcast. If you'd like more information on who we are and what we do, please visit www.moot.uk.net.